Hey, hello, hi, welcome to and are back to the Equithery podcast. I am your host, Jill Treese, and this week's episode is going to be a continuation of our three-part series on positive reinforcement with Kane Meyer of Meyer Horsemanship and MeyerEquine.com. So we're going to get into all of that. Essentially, in this episode, it's just mostly a recap um, of the past two episodes, but in this episode, we actually go start to finish. I tried my best not to interrupt Kane and just let them talk through how they go start to finish when either restarting a horse with positive reinforcement or starting a horse with positive reinforcement. Um, I will give you guys a heads up that for whatever reason this day, I was quite out of it and very tired. Um, so towards the end of the episode, it really starts showing that I was just not all the way there. Apologize for that. It happens to the best of us. But um, the good news is I am feeling refreshed and great here lately. Um, I had like sort of a throat thing going on. And, you know, of course, with all the Rona madness, um, I was like, oh, God, <laughs> I don't know what I've got. but. Um, my throat is feeling better and I didn't have any like fever or anything like that. So I'm feeling a lot better now, even though my voice doesn't sound like it <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, but we are getting back on track. So, um, just wanted to give you guys a heads up that if I don't seem as chipper <laughs> and as active and involved as usual, um, that's why. And I apologize, but yeah, I hope that you guys enjoy, um, you know, listening to Kane and hearing their expertise because, oh my God, do they have so much. And I can't wait to, you know, really be able to get into this with our horses, you know, Zoe eventually, and also um, Lexi. I'm really excited to get started with her and you'll um, hear me talk about that a little bit in this one and in the past couple of episodes. Um, but I do want to say before we jump into this, and I'm sure I will remind you um, a couple times throughout this episode that i um, we are doing a part four. And when this episode goes live, um, at least for a day or two, there will be on Jet Equitheory and on Equitheory, the Instagram accounts, there will be um, a story post where you can um, throw in questions and ask your questions that you have about riding with positive reinforcement. And then me and Kane will answer them in part four. Um, or Kane and I, whatever. Um, <laughs> ironically, being a grammar Nazi, that is the one thing I don't care about is that specific grammar thing. I don't like it. I, I think it sounds better to say me and Kane. So whatever. <laughs> Forget grammar on that part. But nothing else. Learn your yours and your twos. Homophones are good. Um, anyway, so um, be sure to ask your questions so that we can see if we can get that covered. We have a lot of topics to cover in that episode, and it is going to be a long one. But that is where we're going to be addressing all the extraneous things that happen outside of usual training, you know, the bucking, rearing, blah, 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 um, and working through those. And then um, after part four, sorry, my cat's eating out of a loud bowl. Hey, can you like not lick the bowl right now? He's like, no. Um, <laughs> but we're uh, after part four, we're going to take a break from the cane episodes so you can hear my lovely voice solo again. <laughs> and I have some really awesome patron questions saved up. And I hope that you guys are going to enjoy those because I think they're going to be really cool topics to discuss. And uh, I think a lot of different people will get some things out of those. Um, <laughs> the bowl is bothering me. Zuko, hey. Okay, I have rectified our bowl situation. I just decided to feed them. <laughs> so they have trained me well. 
Um, but anyway, so after we knock out the patron episode, then um, I've got a lot of topics I want to discuss. I haven't quite picked one yet, but we'll see. But I also know Kane and I want to do problem horses. Um, and I want to talk to them a little bit about um, training the blind Mustang and do a, an episode on that. Um, but I think we probably need to spread them out a little bit because... Kane is brilliant, but we also have terrible schedules. <laughs> uh, they are always busy, and as am I, and it's very hard to get our um, timelines to match up. And I also kind of want to have some other people on the podcast and then bring them back in so that you get like a little bit of a break and then like, a, oh, yes, this person's back, you know. Um, and I hope you, that you guys are enjoying these episodes. I think Kane is one of the most awesome people on the face of the earth. They just are so positive, and you can hear the passion in their voice and just like, how much they love their horses. And I don't know, I just think it's always awesome and inspiring to talk to them and um, read what they're doing. So I hope that you guys are enjoying that. And I guess that's all I really have to say outside of the fact that if you aren't aware by my incessant posting, posting on every social media platform, and we're off to a hot start with a burp, um, (laughs) that I did finally make the dominance theory video. It happened. I spent two full days in a row editing it. I'm talking 7.30 a.m. to 2 a.m. both days (laughs) editing. Um, And that's not including the filming day and all the initial editing. And then I took like a two-month break on it, but it is done. It's published. It's live. And I am blown away by the reception. So I want to say a thank you to those of you who listened to the podcast who saw that. I saw a lot of you commenting and... uh, Made my heart so happy. If you don't know, season two, which when it was called the Jet Rail podcast of this podcast, sorry, a gnat flew in my nose. Um, (laughs) Season two, episodes 30 and 31 and 35 cover the topics of dominance theory and join up. And that's where I really go deep into the topic. Um, But, you know, if you haven't heard those, the video might be a good starting place for you because I kind of go top to bottom in a 40 minute (laughs) concise question mark way and um then both of the or all three of the podcast episodes are fairly long um so anyway i just wanted to say thank you to you guys for watching that and putting up with it and if you haven't seen it already i encourage you to because i think i included a lot of stuff that just obviously couldn't be in a podcast because there are some video clips and some uh visuals of clippings from articles and studies and there are a ton of links in the description i'm working on a blog post but the trouble is i actually have to write the blog post um because i want to throw in that video the episode links and um also like all the resources and cite them properly and then write a whole blog piece on it but in order to do that i have to write the blog piece i have about half of it written first because it starts out with like an anecdotal story and then goes into my argument essentially as to why it it should stop being used as a training basis um but yeah so if you're interested in that at all please check it out and keep an eye out for that dominant theory post um i'm hoping here soon that i can really start uh developing the resources page on my website i just have been so busy that that kind of progress got halted um that progress kind of got halted is what i'm trying to say i'm thinking about like eight thousand different things right now but um anyway i just wanted to jump on and say that and introduce this episode to you guys and give you some updates and we're gonna be rocking and rolling i can't wait to get back into our usual swing of things and then um you know revamp with some guests on also um 
I, I guess I should ask uh, here soon. Keep an eye out on my um, Instagrams. Uh, who you want to have on the podcast, who you want me to talk to, because I'm really interested in doing some more interviews and talking to some more people. I know I definitely want to have Adele on um, The Willing Equine. And there are so many people that I just think would be incredible to have on the podcast, but I've just got to like make a list. I know I definitely want Alicia Harlov on as well. Um, I've kind of been waiting on getting her on to discuss hooves until I know a little bit more because I don't want to ask a bunch of stupid redundant questions so I kind of have to know which ones are going to be stupid and redundant first um and I know if you're listening you're probably like wait but I don't know so they they're not stupid and redundant to me but um I want to be respectful to her because it is her career and her time and um so I have to figure out which questions would be appropriate and um how long the episode actually needs to be but anyway so just keep an eye out for all of that we've got big things coming i'm really excited and at some point in the near future i promise i will redo the patron intro (laughs) and get some ads on this uh podcast so you guys can um be making me money (laughs) um that would be nice uh but also i have a youtube channel for the podcast now i'm uploading all of the videos i'm almost done i'm about halfway through season two um and so those will be up soon so if you guys wouldn't mind subscribing to the podcast channel that would be fantastic it's just equitheory on youtube um and that way i can actually put ads on there i have to have a thousand subscribers or something something like arbitrary rule um but that way i can um you know profit off of the episodes because right now i am not and this is a lot of effort (laughs) to not be making any money um so hopefully we can help balance those scales a little bit so if you have a youtube account please even if you don't watch youtube for podcasts just go subscribe and then once it hits a thousand you can unsubscribe okay please just do it for me um and that way we can grow the channel and get it out there um you know if it has more followers more people will be like oh what is this thing um draw them in to the dark side (laughs) um but yeah so anyway thank you guys uh let's 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 do this let's roll the intro music i just banged my glasses on the mic here we go so professional Alrighty, guys, you know the drill. We have got to do the patron ad because Jill still has not found sponsors for the podcast. Uh, There's been a lot going on. Whatever. It's fine. Listen to the patron ad and then we'll get into it. Okay, three, two, one, go. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
So the last ad before we jump into the content is one where you can support me and the horses directly. If you're willing and able, check us out at Equitheory on your Patreon app or at patreon.com slash Equitheory. When you become a patron of the podcast, you can ask me questions that I'll answer on the podcast for just $5 a month. And at the $10 tier, you can receive merch and have access to live Q&A events, which means you get your questions answered in real time. And at the higher tiers, you have the option for phone call consults with me on air or privately, as well as access to online training with me, depending on your tier. Sounds like a lot of fun to me. (laughs) But lastly, you should know, should you decide to become a patron, you can cancel at any time or subscribe and unsubscribe as you please or as you're able. And if you can't support us through Patreon, no worries at all whatsoever. Listening alone is more than enough. I just want to say thank you to all the current and future patrons. Me and the ponies appreciate it endlessly. But anyway, I'm going to stop talking and we're going to get into the part where I talk about things that you're actually interested in. (laughs) So we're going to start off this episode by discussing how Kane takes horses from essentially start to finish in either restarting or starting horses with positive reinforcement. But I do first want to say that, you know, Kane is a professional trainer (laughs) and uh, this is how they make their living. So, um, you know, if you are in what part of California are you in? I'm in Southern California. I'm actually in Ventura County, and I'm right next to the Los Angeles County, so I'm sort of on the map. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if you're in that area, you can reach out to Kane that way. And um, at present, they currently do not have any online resources, but there are lots out there, and we're this is our attempt at uh, you know providing some of that service for you. So I will keep you guys updated if you should ever decide to put your little stuff online i think you should (laughs) (laughs) well actually we were just talking about that too it's we both of us really cannot emphasize enough how important it is to work with professionals and i'm also going to talk about that later in our next question as well um but if you have really exhausted all your efforts in finding a professional that is near you and can work with you directly with your horse like seriously it is so important and beneficial but again if you have really exhausted your efforts, then there's plenty of new courses that have come online this year, especially in quarantine. Um, personally, I am really drawn to Mustang Maddie's course. I think that is probably just a fantastic way to get started, especially if you want to be starting your own horses. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I don't. I really don't know if Mosey's is still on there. She is a little pistol Annie, or unless she changed her username. Um, and then there's also Adele, who is the willing equine. So there are resources. You really need to spend the time and the money on them. Uh, they are made pre- made by professionals, and they are made for the everyday person. Right. Um, and- they're extremely important. Like, seriously, work with professionals. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of those courses, they they do offer, like, you know, you can send in videos and talk to the trainer and get feedback and ask questions. Like, a lot of those courses are set up to be super uh, two-wayed. It's not just, like, a you know, your typical high school or college class where you just read the material and then you're done. Um, and I also have on my website – on uh, jetequitheory.com, there is a tab that's uh, titled Positive Reinforcement. And in that tab, you can find online courses. And full disclosure, I have not taken all of them um, <laughs> because money. But um, <laughs> they are on there. And I am at least mostly familiar with a lot of the people on there. And I think, you know, use your judgment. You can read through what they are. I think the ones that Kane suggested are um, really good. I took Mosey's, but I'm pretty sure she pulled it. 
Um, yeah. But it was awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Unfortunate for everyone else, but haha, snooze you lose. <laughs> um, but, but it really is. It's yeah. like, you know, if you were doing traditionally, you would spend the money to take lessons from a qualified professional. So that is really, plus R is going to be the same way. And I think needs to be handled that same I way more than it is currently. Um, spend the money to hire qualified professionals. Right. And, you know, to that point, if you can't or you are like me, because I live in the middle of Arkansas and there's not a trainer around me. Uh, Cindy Martin is the closest one and she's four or five hours away from me. And so that's not exactly feasible. And so I have taken it upon myself to buy a bunch of books and take a bunch of online courses. And I am in more than I can handle right now. I'm trying to <laughs> learn as much as possible. And I think that that is really the best way to do it because like Kane just said, you when you have traditional training, I mean, for years, I took lessons from what, like seven till I think 18 or 19. Like I still take lessons. My yeah. boss literally schools me on the horses that we are collectively training. Yeah. And if, <laughs> if I were riding right now, I would probably enlist the help of a trainer because God knows my equitation can get away from me quickly. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's so important that if you can't find somebody who trains the way that you want to train, that you really make sure that you take the time to dedicate energy to um, your education because you know, you and your horse both deserve it and you deserve to uh, be successful. And that is really the most efficient way to do it, though. It sounds like a dream to just walk out there and make it happen out of bond. That doesn't tend to be the way things go for a lot of people, unless you're Elsa Sinclair, apparently. <laughs> so anyway, um, so do you want to get into it? How, how do we do, Let's do it? Okay, so start to finish. Let's wrap up this episode. How would you start and or restart a horse like you're starting fresh doesn't matter if the horse has been started before or is restarting how do you go about training a horse with positive reinforcement go i want to talk so (laughs) i want to answer this question kind of neutrally obviously i do take the plus r approach i am 100 percent going to always choose the plus r approach um but the list that i have ready to read to you guys is very equally plus r or minus r um because Again, I'm not really going to explain tiny little things and like how specifically I'd I'd handle this specific thing, but there is a checklist and even checkpoints that your horse is going to give you that you must go through, whether like regardless of the method that you're using. Um, And to start that off, it's really important that you focus on relaxation and willingness throughout your entire process with your horse. Hot start. Um, Yeah. So like if your horse is ever going to get stressed about one tiny thing, it's not that you can move on and hope that that stress gets like it disappears because that's not going to happen. You have to then, you know, if you end up stressing out your horse, even minorly, you have to first go back and address that stress and remove that stress before you can even move forward. And I think that's something that a lot of people skip. They just kind of like stack on triggers unknowingly or knowingly because they just think, oh, it's going to magically go away when Mm -hmm. I teach the horse this next thing. That's not how it works. You can only teach the next thing when you have literally mastered the first thing. You have to know no matter where you're standing or how you're asking or when you're asking that the horse is going to unfailingly, like no flaws, 
answer that question correctly in your in your perspective. Right. And I think that also like it's important to stress because that sounds like a very overwhelming and like, oh, my God, I am not capable of doing this at all. I am just a mere human. (laughs) Like, I just want to ride my horse. But at the same time, like starting a horse is a very big task. And I mean, anything I've been avoiding it personally with our Lexi. And I mean, that's a big ask to take a horse from ground zero to being ridden and working. And most of us, you know, buy horses that are not unbroken. And so you get something that has had experience and then that transition might be easier for you depending on the horse's experience. But like you having to restart, you're going back further than you started almost, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Because when you got the horse from traditional training, you know, your horse is at say 80% trained, but you want to restart with positive reinforcement. You got to go all the way back and, you know, some cues you can leave and some cues you might change. But I think, I think it is really important to underscore how big of a task it is. And it's not just like, okay, we're teaching target training or trailer loading. Um, And those are fairly big tasks sometimes, depending on the horse. But riding involves a lot. So I don't want to discourage anyone (laughs) because it's a big ask, but um, it does need to be taken seriously. So I completely agree with that sentiment. And relaxation is so important because, like Kane said, if you don't resolve uh, tension, you end up uh, risking trigger stacking and then having a horse that is confused and way over threshold in terms of arousal and you know it's that does not lead to good things <laughs> yeah and that's where you know i promise i was going to go into uh, professionalism in this question that's where it's important to work with professionals because mm. you need to be working with qualified people it's not you know like jill said it's it's not just this little task it's that you're risking with every single horse that comes into your hands, especially if you're going to be a trainer, you risk that horse not always being with you or not always being with that client. If that horse gets sold, you have to know that you have set that horse up for a lifetime of success. You know, when I started Nova, I never even wanted to ride him. I had no plans to ride him. In fact, I was babysitting him because my clients were in Europe and the person who was taking care of their house did not feel qualified to handle him because, you know, he was, again, feral. Um, (laughs) So they sent him to my barn for me to just, you know, work with him a little bit and get him at least handleable. And that's how it started is it was thinking, you know, they can't even catch this horse. The fair can't work on this horse, the dentist or the vet. Like it's just, it's too much effort to try to get these basic things done. So it was thinking, you know, for the the longevity and the value of his life, he needs to be able to pick up his feet and be haltered and take shots and just, you know, basic things like that. Of course, obviously it's built up now because he is a riding horse mm-hmm. and he's, he's a really fantastic horse, but that's what you have to think about. It, it really is something you have to weigh into and understand how big of a task it is. And that's why, you know, you don't, even the, in the traditional world, you don't see amateurs starting horses successfully and rehoming horses successfully because of that you always hire professionals um i think the plus r community has kind of you know disappointed me a little bit there because yes plus r is awesome i recommend it to everyone it makes you feel invincible but at the same time it makes makes you you feel feel invincible invincible. yep (laughs) Um, it makes you think that you know you can kind of do anything you want with your horse 
and that everything's just going to be great. And it's like, no, you still have to be safe with it. You still have to work with professionals. You still shouldn't be taking on a task that you don't know you can handle. It's not like if I do this one thing, is it going to work? Or just, you know, I do it this specific way because it always works. Like, no, you have to be able to approach it from multiple different ways. You have to predict every single outcome before it happens. And you also have to think about different things you're going to have to do. Because if you ask yourself a question and you can think of the multiple different answers your horse is going to get, you have to keep asking yourself questions and answering them on your own and predicting on your own before you can even apply that thing to your horse. Because, you know, it's the safety of it. That's the skill of it. That's the experience of it. Um, Right. Like I, said, like I, know, I think more people really need to understand that. Right. And if you, if you don't know the potential outcomes of something you're about to do with your horse, you're not well equipped to be able to set that horse up for success. And that's the whole goal of positive reinforcement training. That is where we all start on the Lima principles and working on humane hierarchy. It starts with setting up the environment for success. And if you don't know where you're going, like say you've never ridden a horse before, you might not be the best person to break your horse. Even if you're the one that wants to do it with positive reinforcement and you don't have anybody else to do it, you're, you might run the risk of your safety and your horse's safety and you know i mean i don't know that's one of those questions that lies outside the uh the realm of this episode but i mean <laughs> uh, to your point i think it's really important that you know your skill set and if you think that you just need a little more education on it to be able to get there then go for it but if you're still like brand spanking new to this and you're like oh i'm going to restart my horse and you know, I've never worked with any other horses outside of school ponies and packers. It, it might not go the way that you want it to because you might not have the experience necessary to be able to, like Kane said, be able to predict some of your potential outcomes and see things coming and know how to prevent them and set the horse up for success so that you're both safe and you're both able to make progress without anybody getting stressed or hurt because obviously we all know riding do be dangerous. So yeah, <laughs> well that's that's the thing is you know again comparing it to the tra- the traditional methods because this is something that needs to be com- uh, compared. Oh my goodness, um, <laughs> I when I hire trainers like my boss, my boss is so obviously at such a higher level riding wise than I am. And I have to ask myself that when I hire someone, do I trust that they can solve a problem that I can't solve? And I think that's another thing that needs to be, uh, just thought about more in the plus R community is how good of a writer you are. You know, I don't really want to be trusting someone or giving all my money to someone who can't ride better than I can. And you know, that, that can get stingy, I know, but Mm -hmm. it's important. Um, and for that same reason to go down on my list again, you don't want fireworks when you're starting horses. And when I say that, it's that I know that I can ride out a bucking Bronco. I know that I know how to stop a horse from rearing or if a horse is rearing, how I can safely come out of that. I can do that. I have done that. I've done it a million times. Um, I've been starting Arabian horses since I was 16. I started uh, traditionally. Um, but just because I can do it doesn't mean I want to. Um, 
And for two of those reasons are one, like I said earlier, you have to have relaxation. You can't have your horse moving up on the stress level because then again, you have to go back and address that first before you can move forward. But second, again, just because I can doesn't mean I want to. I start many horses. I own many horses. I am not about to risk my well-being and risk being sidelined from a long period of time because I decided I'd rather ride out an issue than actually address it and train it and approach it safely. Um, and that's actually, you know, you made a post today about the dangers <laughs> of the TikTok equestrians. Oh um, that's what I've been seeing all over it is people who just think it's very impressive to ride a bucking bronco. It's and so you know what? Gross. Like, sure, that's great. You have a strong leg and you can ride it out. It is useful to be able to ride that out. That For does sure. go back into someone being a good rider, but you don't want to have to do it and you right. need to be actively avoiding that. And I'm there with you. Like in my thinking about starting Lexi, um, you know, I was talking to my boss cause I had never started a horse before ever. And I don't even know that I am at the level where I think I could do it. I think it's going to take me longer than it would take someone like you or Adele or somebody that has started a horse. But I mean, it's <laughs> like at first I'm so ignorant. I mean, it was like a year ago or something. And, um, I was like, yeah, I just don't know. Cause I don't want to like deal with any bucks or anything like that. Like, don't get me wrong. I have ridden my fair share of bucks and rears, but it's not my favorite thing in the world. I don't feel very safe and I don't particularly enjoy it. You feel like a badass a little bit. I'll be honest, <laughs> but I, for the horse's sake, no, don't need to do it. Yeah. And if I can avoid it at all costs, that is my ultimate goal. And it's just TikTok and Facebook and stuff like that cracks me up and also makes my stomach turn at the same time because people are just like, well, you got to teach them somehow. They got to learn. You know, it's just a cult. And I'm like, you haven't ever opened a textbook before, huh? You just you just do what grandpa did. Is that right? OK, good. Good ideology. Love it. Well, that goes into the next thing is, you know, the the way that you can you can avoid fireworks is to just not skip steps like you. You just cannot rush. You can't think, well, I want to do this by this certain time. Um, sometimes when you work with clients, especially I actually my old assistant who had to go back to Oregon, she's taken on a clientele there and she's kind of going through this right now. Um, she had a guy adopt or rescue some horses from auction or something, but he said that he wanted them completely broken oh rideable God. by the winter. Stress. And it's like, okay, even if you absolutely have to have that deadline, you still need to approach it like you have all the time in the world. Right. Um, you can't be saying, I want to be sitting on this horse next week because that doesn't happen. It's I have never once in my life said or thought to myself like i want to be doing this right then at this specific time because it doesn't happen that way it's I always did. like well <laughs> right now feels right or if i don't think that then it's not right and i'm not going to think about it right and i did that we all remember the retired racehorse project i had such big goals and then i quickly realized that was not going to happen i think that if i had been handed a different horse um, like something that was just like, just had the right brain that made it easy. Um, you know, that it probably would have ended up different, but Mac had a history and I still, I want to just not <laughs> just be like, yeah, well, if there had been a different horse, I would have been able to do it. I still probably wouldn't have made it in that time frame. Um, because I mean, you have like 11 months or something or 12, I don't even remember, but, um, yeah, I mean, I quickly realized about six months in, I was like, yeah, I haven't even sat on him yet. This is not happening. 
So, yeah, but I, I mean, think that's why Nova was so successful because I had at the start I had literally not thought I want to ride this horse. Right, you know? like it just happened and it happened so well and so successfully. And then it was very closely repeated with Uma. We didn't have a time frame for it. We just wanted to be like, what are we doing? And it works. You know, it's just. Like I said, if if it feels right in that moment, then it probably is. If you don't feel 100% right, then just stop thinking it. <laughs> right. And that's <laughs> that reminds me of the uh, Jack Bartlett Heartland quote that he's like, if you go out with a horse and act like you got five minutes, it'll take all day. But if you go out and you act like you've got all day, it'll take five minutes. That's not how it's exactly talks, like but, that, though. <laughs> but it is. It's so true. Every time I've ever been in a hurry, shit hits the fan and I get like so frustrated and then things go backwards. But with the days that I like have zero things in mind, all the things happen. So yeah, it's it's definitely a mentality thing. But anyway, we're not on woo-woo-ness so So I have one more thing I want to say before I get into my list okay um it kind of just ties all of that together and it's a good uh procedure to what the list is um and what I have written here is you have to weigh what I have already taught this horse how does this horse react and how does this horse function more than you weigh what do I want to teach this horse? Um, and that goes back into predicting the horse's behavior and asking yourself all these questions and having to answer them on your own before you even touch your horse. You know, like you have to think about what the horse knows and how you work with that, not what you want your horse to be in the future. Right. Um, and a really obvious example that I can give is again, Nova, he's now a year along in being under saddle. And I started, you know, I think I mentioned this very early on in the last episode, or at least earlier in the conversation, mm-hmm. um, that I wanted to start incorporating like contact and a little bit of Minasar with him. Obviously it ended up not working. He very clearly rejected it. Um, but when that happened and at that same time, I was also working for my boss and I was riding very upper level dressage horses and they're ridden a specific way, you know, that trained me and it trained me well. And my position is now very good and I'm very functional and I am a very good rider now, you know, thanks to my amazing, <laughs> wonderful boss. I can't say enough good things about her. Um, but when I started riding Nova more frequently again, I had given him a little bit of time off to just relax and enjoy himself as a riding horse. When I started riding him again, I had been expecting these things and I had, been, you know, of course been riding all these seasoned horses and I was expecting him to react the same way because, well, I was riding what is That's always such a correctly. hard transition. I remember when I would have my main horse and then I would have like one of Sonny's horses, like back when I was 15 and 16. And it would always be so nice to get back on my horse because I was like, oh my God, everything makes sense again. And then you go to the new one and they're just like, I will know what you mean. And (laughs) it's, it's really hard not to expect them to be on a similar level. And you have to get really good at being able to tell the difference in those two. Um, um, well, and that's, you know, that goes right back levels. again to being a good rider. You have to be adaptable. But no, I'm the same way with Lily. I get on Lily and it's just like, oh, this is home. Like mm-hmm. the moment I sit on her. But with him, it was, you know, I was in my mind. I was like, I'm riding correctly. Why is this not working? And I had to think, how did I train this horse? What does he know? What does he respond to? And guess what? None of it is traditionally correct. It might 
look traditionally correct because of the cues that I've associated with it and what I've built on top shallowly, but underneath he functions completely differently. And once I got yeah. over that and he was like, Hey, don't you even remember who I am? Right. You know, it worked out great. And we're, you know, we're best friends. He's just, he's a blast to ride. He's just different. So when you're training your horse, when you think I want to eventually be doing this and I want my horse to do that, you have to focus on what your horse already knows because you have to work with the horse that you have the horse that's underneath you the horse that's in front of you not the horse that you are creating right and I think it's it's absolutely fine to have goals and aspirations and everything and you can plan for the future and obviously you have to have some sort of goal to work towards in order to um, you know, get anywhere in your training. But at the same time, like, I think that that also ties into the labeling thing. Like, what is your horse doing? How is your horse trained? How does it function? And where do we go from here? Do I need to work on any of those things that are already in place? You know, like, look at what you've got first before you start moving on. Because if you don't know, then you're going to run into problems down the road. And that's where you end up with fireworks. And, oh, my God, he just exploded out of nowhere. And it's never out of nowhere. There's never. Always it's never. Horses are not unpredictable. We all sign those I release know. waivers when we first Ugh. arrive at a barn that we understand that horses are unpredictable. They're we not. We now realize they absolutely are not. They're no. completely predictable. They're so predictable. But they're unpredictable if you don't know them. And if you know your horse and you also have a solid understanding of horse body language and their communication, and if you don't, you can read Raquel Dreisma's book. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And once you have that, then, I mean, you're pretty much equipped to be able to understand your horse and see it for what it is and then go from there. But if you don't know what you've got, then there's no way you can build on top of it because, I mean, it's like – trying to build a house and you just throw a rock and build it on whatever ground is there. You don't know if your house is going to collapse or not. And it might all of a sudden out of nowhere, (laughs) you know, you have to check the ground first. You have to make sure that your foundation is solid before you can start building. Even if you're not starting a horse, like what I'm going through with Snowy right now, I'm not starting her. I am tuning her up, but I don't know. I kept saying I don't know what she doesn't know. Um, and so I'm not – And well, and for her, she's a very explosive and reactive horse. So even if she does, for whatever reason, no flying changes and maybe even just picking up a canner from the walk, I'm not going to ask that first because if I can't do a controlled – rhythmic quiet trot with her that I don't need to be doing anything else and that's just everything that we've been doing we literally trot in little bursts for like 15 to 20 minutes and that is our workout um like I said before be patient don't skip steps value your horse's relaxation Perfect. So on to the list. <laughs> on my list, the answer that you guys have actually been waiting for, um, <laughs> the steps that I take to starting a horse. Um, I'm just going to address that. I'm not going to go into, like, I think the last thing I have on here is uh, up to cantering under saddle. Um, I'm not going to go past that because, you know, that that then varies so much more from right. horse to horse and from what discipline you want, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on forever. Um, just the basics. 
Yeah, just the basics. Um, number one, obviously, is going to be haltering because you want your basic handling. You want to at least be able to get your horse out of the stall. Um, again, this list is going to be fairly neutral. I'm not really going to be specific on if you're working with a feral horse or a plus R horse or a minus R horse. But keep in mind, I do plus R. <laughs> and it's my thing. Um, so haltering, you know, you want your horse to first and foremost, always be willing to come out of their stall or out of their pasture that you can teach your horse to halter themselves, dip their head into the halter, or at the very least, um, when you enter their living space that you can stand in an area, hold the halter out and the horse will at least approach you and like line themselves up to be haltered. Yeah, um, the horse it's a is nice running. way to start, like establish your starting cues, um, and your horses, you know, your horse's choice that they say, yes, I want to engage with you. Right. Um, and that leads into number two, again, basic handling, leading and standing, like if you use cross ties or a regular tie. Um, some horses can go into bathing from this point. Some of my more difficult horses cannot. Um, but for your leading and your standing, I teach my horses to, first of all, move or stop moving their legs off of a voice command. And then for leading, I prefer my horses to lead from my hand, not to follow my body. Um, it comes really in handy with situations more extreme like trader loading or if I'm walking more than one horse at once that they follow my hand and they're not both just like crowded behind my back because that can get really dangerous um, <laughs> but also for just like tiny things like when you want to move your horse around or for some horses who don't really want to allow you on a certain side of their body um, that you can just kind of maneuver them really gently and that they're not going to be stressed about even just you lifting your arm because again that's going to be something you have to think about is tiny movements like that. Um, a lot of my horses, I do teach them how to unwrap themselves um, with a rope around their butt. Um, and the way that I teach that kind of, again, I want to be as vague as possible, is basically just putting them in a situation where they're like, say, I'm standing on their left side, the rope would be wrapped from their right side and around their hindquarters and then into my hands. And then they unwrap themselves in that situation. Um, the reason I think that's really important is because it gets used to them being touched by inanimate objects around their body so that they're kind of, I don't want to say desensitized, if anything, they are sensitized to that. Mm -hmm. Um, but also so that, you know, if they get tangled, like you never know if your reins are going to break or maybe your your uh, back cinch comes undone or something. You want them to understand how to work themselves out of situations like that. Um, again, relaxation is your number one priority. If your horse can't get out of a situation without fear, then that's something you have to completely address before you go on to the next step. Right. And I um, think that, and that next step is <laughs> I'm cutting you like, off. Roll, please. Dun, dun, dun. Number three is ground work yeah <laughs> okay i don't say that word enough in my life <laughs> i don't know how to cut you off because there's a delay <laughs> keep trying no, that's totally fine. <laughs> but um i do want to say that like because i i can hear the alarm bells in my head with the unraveling um yes. <laughs> because i think that is incredibly important to teach but you know in being vague and not saying whether it's you know positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement. I think for the sake of the episode being titled <laughs> positive reinforcement yeah. riding, but even if it's not, you know, the key here is 
that relaxation and making sure that the horse is comfortable. And if you just tie a rope around the back of your horse and then go, okay, horse, figure it out, and you let them fly into a panic and actually get tangled to where you can't even untangle them, and then you've created a panic situation, that is not what Kane is talking about. (laughs) I'm sure that there is a systematic method in teaching them how to give to that quote-unquote pressure and figure out how to relieve it. But... No, and actually that, no, I'm glad you brought that up because that goes back into, I don't think I even mentioned it enough. I just stated it that I teach the voice commands off the bat. Um, I want my horse to stand when I ask it to stand, to walk when I ask it to walk, you know, stuff like that. So if the horse is really understanding that, you know, whoa means all four feet are stopped. It doesn't just mean like slow down or stop or wait here or, you know, whatever of the many things that it could mean that your horse is actually trusting that you can move around the body and that if you're standing behind the horse that you're not going to stay there or you're not going to do something unpredictable or just simply that you will always return to their front end where they're comfortable having you. You know, like the purpose of stuff like that is not to be like you just said it's not to be figure this out on your own it is specifically like you're safe everything's gonna be fine you can handle this i'm going to show you how you can handle this Mm. but also like don't just wrap the rope around your horse no and i just i felt like there needed to be a little bit of clarification there because i was like oh god i can see that (laughs) going so wrong starts so small and that actually even that goes right back into your horse following your hand that your horse will follow your hand but again it's at a cue and it's at an appropriate time and maybe it even just starts with you just walk to your shoulder or some horses will already let you walk to their hip and they wait there and then you give your release cue and they follow you around um because that is another thing to kind of think of is how your body communication is mirrored in your horse um i know a lot of people especially in the pirelli method teach backing up by facing the horse and shaking the rope or even walking towards the horse and i've had plenty of issues with that well among many but simply because one time i was trying to mount a horse who had pearly training and I was walking towards her and trying to put my foot in the stirrup and she kept backing away from me and I couldn't even get my foot in the stirrup. Yeah, I did the same thing with Zoe by when I first started positive reinforcement, I taught her to back by me just like scratching her shoulder, like the point of her shoulder and Mm. still little difficult to scratch her shoulder without her backing up and the same thing because I I switched that to like standing beside her and like moving my finger backwards um like shaking my finger backwards and even that sometimes like just me being in at her shoulder sometimes she'll back up and I've got to work on putting that on stimulus control but because of all of that I decided to switch to the vocal command and just say back instead because the I don't want her moving away from me unless I explicitly ask her to because it gets very annoying when you're trying to (laughs) work around them or put your foot in a stirrup or something like that and you want the horse to be successful and not annoying to you. (laughs) Well, and then it's even when you start actually putting things on your horse, like when you're putting a bareback pad or a a saddle pad on it for the very first time, you don't want your horse to be moving and spinning around you, one, because you can't even get the thing on the horse, but two, they're going to be so focused on the movement that you risk 
risk uh, catching them off guard when you actually get the thing on them, and then voila, you have an explosion. Right, and you um, also can't tell so the difference. So that goes, you know, number three being groundwork, <laughs> and I have here emphasized lunging. I start teaching lunging at that phase because you know, thinking and addressing number one and two, haltering and leading, that the horse knows how to lead. The horse understands basic like walk and whoa. Um, now you can start introducing lunging. Like, can your horse at this phase just walk and halt on the lunge without the assistance of your body language? You know, that's something that you had to address in one and two. Uh, but then also you can kind of introduce a little bit of trot on the lunge line. Um, but with your trot, that being more energetic and that being um, your next step, you want to do that in just short, successful bursts uh, that your horse is already, without fail, responding to walk and halt every single time. Um, so when you start thinking of trot, they pick up the trot when you ask, or you can at least work them up to picking the picking up the trot when you ask. But then every single time that you say, whoa, they do respond to it. And it's also in the short, successful burst that maybe they're only trotting for like three to five steps before you ask for whoa again. Um, you just want to keep it really short, really happy, because you're going to go back to it later. It just has to be, again, the relaxation and the willingness and the happiness. Yes. So. <laughs> do we have anything we want to say before I move on? I think that is pretty good. I did want to say about the, um, the, like if your horse is backing while you're trying to put equipment on yeah. that, um, the, another reason that that could get messy is because you also couldn't tell if your horse was uncomfortable because yeah. you don't know if they're just responding to what they think you're asking or, and you don't want to surprise them, but you also want to make sure that they're comfortable. Whereas, you know, if they're backing up and sometimes you can tell just by their facial expressions, like if they've got a wide eye, but like, you know, <laughs> if they're backing away because they're uncomfortable, you don't want that to be muddy. You want it to be very clear that they're standing and accepting it because they're confident and relaxed. <laughs> Are we noticing a theme? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, well, that's actually, that's a good time to bring it up too, because with that groundwork stage, you know, you've gotten your basic handling out of the way hopefully by that point so in that groundwork stage and thinking you know when my horse is backing away from me or, or whether or not I know that my horse is trying to respond to a cue or is afraid um, this stage number three groundwork is going to be where you have to really start thinking about your body language not just in how it's responding or promoting in that moment but when you want to start stacking behaviors on top of what you're teaching um, and that's going to carry through your entire process you know you want to be knowing that if you teach your horse something, you're not going to have to change how you taught it later on, that you can easily stack it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I've definitely run into that before where I've like taught a cue, like I said, with the backing and I was like, nah, I don't like that. And then I have to change mm -hmm. it. And then now all of a sudden I've got all these like little pieces littered in there that are just like, if I accidentally do that move, then I get the behavior. And so you have to make sure that it's, it's very clear and you decide on a thing that you can do you know, like we talked about earlier in um, moving off your leg, like something that transfers easily to the saddle, you know, I don't know, standing 10 feet away from your horse and saying, move over, you know, and holding yeah. your arm out like you're pushing them away. You can't do that from the saddle. I don't know why that's the example that came to my brain, but that is the one. You can't do no, that, that from the saddle. Yeah. So it needs to be, um, you need to have some cues that, you know, you could either have one for in the ground and one for in the saddle, but it needs to be... Um, you need to have something that transfers, otherwise... It needs to be consistent. Right, exactly. Yeah. So then, number four, after you've 
done your groundwork, your horse is walking and halting on the lunge, maybe you've introduced a introduce trot um you have to then go back to leading um i say that out of experience because you've then with your groundwork taught your horse a little more emphasis on the following your hand and the moving if you want to be standing when you're lunging then your horse is moving when you are not moving or if you're like me i tend to walk on my lunge line um so my horse is you know at least still moving more than me so you go back to leading because okay it's now you've learned this now let's remember what you learned originally um and this is also a stage where i'm going to start leading the horse off site um like out on the trail or i don't i won't really haul my horses out anywhere but i do use the trail a lot i don't think i emphasized that enough um in the last episode or in the earlier conversation trail is like one of my favorite tactics to use um because that kind of tests, you know, is your horse just learning it in this specific environment or does your horse actually have a deep understanding of this and you can apply it elsewhere? Right, you're um, it's safety and it's, you know, if you want to talk about the human aspect, it's control. Um, and it's just, you know, that partnership. You don't want to be riding in the sandbox every single day of your life. Your horse is going to really appreciate if you go out riding on trail. Um, but thinking, if you want to be riding safely on trail, you have to be able to hand walk safely on trail. So that's why I do this here. Um, I'm not asking for anything else. We're not lunging out on trail or anything. We're just leading and walking and making sure the horse stops when you ask or expect him to and he's walking with you. Um, You'll find that a lot of horses want to walk ahead of you, especially horses whose confirmation is not quite right. They will tend to fall on their forehands, so they will walk a little bit faster. Um, And it's kind of, you know, this is just starting to introduce how to use their body and how to be a little like how to predict the human a little bit more. Right. Um, and I want to, again, ask if you want to say anything before we move on to number five. Yeah, I, I also want to say because um, Lexi, the one that I've been working with, she um, she's hit, really hit or miss with whether she wants to walk in front of me or directly behind me. And um, she was notorious when I first moved out here for, like, you could not lead her unless there were two lead ropes on her halter and one person on either side. And Mm -hmm. because she would just run your ass over. And um, since I've started working with her, she is so good. And bless her heart, it's probably too good, like, at turning (laughs) her head away from me. And we've started working on refining it because she's just like, away, away, away. And I'm like, it's okay. You can calm down. But she gets really worked up just like Zoe does. And so a lot of what we do is because she's not built – on her forehand. She's actually quite uphill. And Mm -hmm. so we have to work a lot on relaxing and doing things very slowly (laughs) and bringing everything down. Jill has to breathe a lot (laughs) and reinforce her a lot and give her time to eat and settle. And especially like when I take her out of her pasture, you know, her eyes get a little big and things get a little bit high energy. And, you know, I like to keep her moving so that she's not like fighting against this oh my god I've got this drive to move and my person is like forcing me to stand and I'm very uncomfortable but I try to balance it out with like okay but can we bring it back down a little bit and then asking for a little bit more each time until she levels and I think that's really important because in her pasture that's not a problem but literally you take her the outside of her gate and she's like oh god (laughs) and so I mean that's that generalizing to everywhere the rules still apply you've still got this you have the puzzle pieces let's see if we can make it work everywhere else and um 
So that's my my piece. Well, that's a really solid example of why your haltering and your leading and your basic handling needs to come before the lunging. Because if you can't even have a horse who walks nicely next to you, then what makes you think that horse is going to walk on the lunge line? And then what makes you think that horse is going to be walking calmly when you decide to put a saddle on it and ride it? You know, like if your horse can't do it in the most basic possible situation which again is another one of the recurring themes in this Mm -hmm. question and answer your horse has to do it at the most basic level before you can even expect it to do it the next one let alone like the last level yeah and i mean i think you can definitely rush it but i think you're gonna suffer some fallout like if your horse is really hot on the lead like zoe always was it she was always so bad to lead especially it shows to the point of being embarrassing um but (laughs) We all watched it. I paid the price under saddle, too. I had an explosive animal that, you know, and she paid the price, too, because she was so damn anxious all the time. And that's not something I'm ever interested in doing again. And with Lexi, I would not dare lunge her right now because she is like a little baby human. When she gets afraid, she wants you to hold her. But the problem is she's quite large. (laughs) And so, She's not a lap dog. <laughs> no. So when she gets afraid, her knee-jerk reaction is to come into my space. So I've made it really reinforcing for her to be out of it. So she started, you know, falling back to that instead, which is oh, so awesome. Um, but if I were to change it too much right now without really establishing how I would like her to behave on a lead, and I just took her out on a lunge line, she's probably going to end up in my lap, which is not going to mean good things for my internal organs. So... <laughs> You know, it's, I I completely agree. You really, I mean, like, obviously I think I could make it happen if I had to, but I think we would both pay the price mentally and um, probably physically down the line. And I think it's just much better to avoid that altogether and train it the right way and take the time. So it's a little inconvenient and I don't get to ride next month, but I'm not going to die. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm not going to die. You know, you'd rather be spending like $2,000 on good footing and not $2,000 on leg injuries, for example. Uh, But that's actually perfect timing for you to say that because for number five, I say spooking work and spook work and whatever if you want to call it desensitization whatever call it as you please um but i also have a note here that if you're working with a really difficult or really spooky horse i actually address this first with nova this was the very very first thing that i did with him because his spooking was so bad and so dangerous that i really couldn't even fathom trying the haltering and leading before addressing this um And I actually will tell you how I work with spooking because I think it's, you know, it's probably one of the things that I get asked most. Um, But I I put this in number five because with your typically like more average horse, a little bit easier horse or just like normal horse, um, (laughs) spook work isn't like the most important thing. Um, And especially number four being going back to leading and even leading off site or leading on trails. I say it because that's when you're going to start seeing more spook because you're on, you're in new environments and you've tried new things and your horse has gotten over the initial infatuation with learning something. Um, so he's going to get a little more reactive, but with spook work, uh, the way that I address it is I very simply leave my horse out in an open space and I stand in a little like out of the corner, but sort of in the corner. Um, with Nova, this 
came easier because the place that we were at had a small arena um, next to a main road. And it was literally that he would spook at any single thing that went by on the sidewalk or on the road. But each time he did that, I completely ignored that horse. He had the most ridiculous spook to him he's like you said with Lexi he wanted to jump in your lap but at the same time he just had no clue how fragile humans are he had no (laughs) clue how to handle himself he was completely overreacting to these things like he was explosive so I didn't want to be involved in the spook the spook is not what I wanted to address what I wanted to address is what happens after he had his fair share of spooking and he'd do whatever he felt he needed to do that's fine it's worked for him so far in his life I'm not about to interfere with it but when he would approach me which he's not going to do until he is a little bit over the stimulus he would approach me and I would whistle and give him a treat and that's it that's all I would do he would go wandering off again he'd get spooked by the next car that went by but then eventually out of curiosity again he'd get over it and he'd approach me so by me rewarding Every single time he approached me calmly on his own, that ended up coming sooner and sooner and sooner until like from the end of that day, he would spook and then immediately walk up to me. And I emphasize, you know, when he walked up to me, it was that he was stopping a a couple paces away from me. All four (laughs) feet came to a stop. It was safe. He wasn't just running up to me, but it came sooner and sooner until it was that he would spook, he would stop and he would get that treat. Now, because of that tactic and because we've done it that same way every time, not addressing the spook, but addressing what came after, I will totally brag about this for my entire life. (laughs) I have erased Nova's spook. This horse does not spook at things. If anything is mildly or majorly triggering to him, he just stands there. And he'll just take treat after treat, and he's calm because I emphasize it's not just that he's stopping, it's that he's stopping calmly. So this horse will, like, we literally will be out riding on the street and a massive massive tractor will be driving by us lily and bella are just freaking out because they're like what is that and nova despite the girls freaking out despite the tractor in the road despite barking dogs is just sitting there like i don't know whatever because i did not address the spook i did not tell him to suppress his fears i showed him how to handle it and what he gets when he is calm i will brag about that forever it's one of my favorite things that i've done it works for every single horse yeah i thought that Um, that is a tactic i will do for the rest of my life yeah I really like what you said at the end there that because I think and I have this instinct too that when um the horses start getting really uncomfortable I'm like oop time to make you comfortable and then but you can like we've talked about I think either in this episode or the previous one that you can actually end up reinforcing emotions and Mm -hmm. you can end up with um a horse that likes to be afraid and spooky and or high energy (laughs) or whatever because of that um but I think another thing, because this literally just came up the other day um, with Lexi, because I was so proud of her for this. I took her out of her pasture, and it was like the windiest day. And I couldn't tell you the last time I had this horse out of her pasture. Like, it was not a good decision on my part. But I was like, I've been working with her in her pasture, and I really just want to get her out. And she also has a buddy in there. It's very hard to work with him because he's in your pocket, and she's kind of, you know, he's a little bit more... I'm going to push you out of the way (laughs) Uh, than she is. So she is anxious around him. So I was like, I'll just get her out and walk her around. And when I took her over near the cross ties and she's never been over there before, she did like 
because I mean, obviously it was very windy and I had some standing wraps like the pillows on the, uh, on the like little beam that runs horizontally and um the wind sorry i'm trying to paint a picture for you all um, no i think we all as horse people we all know what that is <laughs> yeah <okay. laughs> so i had some pillows on the beam and they they blew off and i was like i'm gonna die right here <laughs> and right now it's over but she just grabbed the ground and i was like yes do that yes and i clicked her for it and i was like thank you because that is not the reaction that that horse ever gives it's normally like a tuck tail turn bolt and now i'm colicking because i am so stressed but she just grabbed the ground and like thought about it and i was like yes maturity <laughs> and also like thank you for not killing me and then we went from there and if i could like, if we got too close to it, because I didn't pick it up, I was like, no, no, <laughs> like, I'm going to leave it where it is, because A, I don't want it to blow off again, and B, because that is now the scary thing, and, like, and this is just a contrast in trainers, you know, I mean, I don't know whose way is better, obviously, you've probably had more experience with this, but this is the way I thought about it, and so, um, after she did that, I was like, okay, would you be interested in coming closer to it? Cause she knows targeting. And so I was like, if I just have her target it and it's not too, you know, emotionally conflicting for her. And I was paying very close attention to her body language and her facial expressions, because if she looks super worried while she's like trying to touch it, I'm not going to make her do it. But anytime. I think actually, no, I'm glad you said that because a lot of people do that. You know, they, they train the horse to approach the scary thing and touch the scary thing. I don't recommend that like if your horse willingly wants to approach things then by all means shape the reactions around that but your horse touching an object does not mean that he's okay with it and right. i see that a lot right and that's like like with juno i would never go that route and there are a lot of horses i would never go that route but lexi has always been the most curious little thing and i was like I know this will work for her. And so I asked her if she would be interested in like walking closer towards it. You know, I'm not pulling on her or anything. I just stepped towards it. And if she looked like she was a little freaked out by it, then we would take a step back and go somewhere else. And then we would come back. And each time she got a little less stressed. And I mean, it took all of three minutes. And I asked her to just target the beam. And she did that totally fine. I clicked and treated her for it. And she was very obviously way more relaxed than she had been and then I asked her if she would target the uh, pillow and she did it with no problem and you know a few more things in the cross ties were equally scary but I, I was really aware that I did not want to ask her to touch something that she was petrified of or even scared of I wanted her to feel like oh this is a game I know how to solve this puzzle this is just another target because she has mm -hmm. experience with targeting and I want to stress because of what you said that I would never do this with a horse that did not have any experience with targeting and did clearly was uncomfortable. Or if I felt like I was going to create a situation where the horse had to choose between either getting reinforcement um, by doing something that really scared them or scared them at all, period. Like there doesn't need to be a qualifier, but um, and not doing it and not getting the reinforcement. That is not a situation I want to set up because that is not successful for the animal and I don't want them to have to deal with that. But for Lexi specifically, I thought that that would work really well and it did. And then she calmed down and relaxed and I felt very confident with that. And um, she did too. She was no longer reactive anywhere near everything that was going on. And like, there's a horse trailer there. There's my tiny house. There's the big, tall green barn, lots of fencing, and there are cats everywhere. And like, it was not a, 
new baby friendly area. And I mean, you know, if it had been any other horse, I might have taken it back like and just been like, today is not the day. But she just was so good. And I, I quit pretty quickly after that because I was like, I do I, I cannot push for more. No greed here. <laughs> We're going to end while this is going well and set her up for success. And then I took her back into her field and she was perfectly happy. The end. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I think just to wrap up number five, um, I just want to say that you have to understand you as anyone who's going to be working with your horse on desensitization or shaping reactions, whatever you want to call it, understand that working with tarps and handheld or just whatever stuff and tools that you have, that is a very controlled situation and when you are teaching your horse responses in those controlled situations, um, no matter how good your horse is on reacting to a tarp flapping around them, when you are instigating that tarp, you just, you cannot get mad at your horse or disappointed yes. in your horse if, if he reacts in an uncontrolled situation, especially when scary things happen in an area that a scary thing usually doesn't happen, especially when that's out of your control, you cannot control, like, Say you work with tarps in your arena and then you're out on trail in a place your horse is usually super quiet in and then a feral tarp comes flying <laughs> towards you. Like you have to understand how your horse learns and in what environments and your horse beyond learns. that it's it goes back to like what we were saying about cue transfers if you're in a new environment and the same thing happens don't expect your horse to be totally cool with it unless you've worked on generalizing that like if if say you haven't been out on that trail before and the rogue tart comes flying at you yeah. you know don't expect your horse and be like well he handled it great in the arena you know like it doesn't <laughs> it's not necessarily a one-to-one -one. every time you change something you've got to go back a step in your expectation and your criteria and well and that's why i really like that I was able to, with Nova, be in an arena where I knew there were going to be triggering things, but I wasn't triggering my horse. I wasn't trying to trigger my horse. I knew that he was going to react to these things, though, and they were completely unpredictable, uncontrollable. Like, it was somewhat a controlled situation within the arena, but everything outside was not, and that just worked so well. I wouldn't suggest like, you know, directly putting your horse in those situations, but that's just what you have to think about in how you are shaping your horse's reactions. Right. And beyond that, also, you weren't able to restrict him. Like, he could yeah. respond in the way that he felt safest. And then exactly. gradually you start working against that. Whereas, like, you know, if you, I mean, and not everybody's going to have an arena right next to the interstate to work on this, but. Yeah. And it's something to consider. It's kind of like when people say, like, if you're walking a dog and you pull on their on the leash, they feel more trapped. And the same thing can apply to horses as well because they are naturally claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, if you've got a handle on your horse and you're hanging on really tight while they're afraid, you know, you might you might end up being trampled <laughs> so or raising their anxiety at least. So I, th I think as best you can allow the horse to react normally but also the goal would be to set up for that situation to not escalate so far obviously with nova you didn't really have a choice the arena is right next yeah. to the, the interstate like you have to but i mean to set up like if you couldn't just toss the horse in the arena like if you can't if you don't have anywhere you can work with your horse free then build up to that point to where you are pretty confident that if something presented itself, it's not going to happen. If you, like, say, start with a toy car, you know, and work out from there. I'm not going to go all the way into it. 
as per usual. I'm stopping myself. That's self-control. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, I just, that was, of all these numbers, like, that's the one that I was like, okay, I do have a very direct way to work on this. Yeah, so, that being awesome. said, you've gone through haltering, you've gone through leading, your horse self-halters, he leads, he walks next to you, he walks on the lunge line, he halts when you ask you to. Um, you can walk him out on trails, and you have a trained reaction to when your horse is in a um, restricting situation in a scary situation. Either way, you know that he's going to come out of it safely for both you and him. Then we move on to number six, which is bridling. And the reason the spook work has to come before that is because you just probably don't know how your horse is going to react to bridling, whether or not you're using a bit. Um, your horse could take the head stall perfectly fine. Then you try to put in a bit in his mouth and he's just like, Oh my God. Um, so <laughs> that's why you need to be able to train your horse's reactions and shape them and under understand that or know that your horse understands that he can safely come out of it um but then work on bridling and i i teach it the same way as haltering you know that your horse wants to be able to kind of self-bridle and that he's if i'm going to be training him with a bit that he's willing to take the bit i'm not just like shoving it into his mouth um i want the horse to understand that the bridle fits a little more snug than the halter i want him to understand that the leading is a little bit different again especially if you're going to be working with a bit that the reins definitely feel different than a lead rope um even if you're not working with a bit uh side poles bazaos hackamores they all still function differently than a halter and a lead. Um, with that, though, um, when I ride my horses, I really don't ride in halters. I do ride in, if I want to be bitless, I do ride in some kind of bitless bridle. Um, I, of course, have those exceptions. Like, Lily can ride in literally just about anything. Um <laughs> Nova, I can sort of ride in a halter, but even he really prefers the Bozal because he just knows the feel of those cues more than he knows other bitless bridles. But, you know, bitless bridles are still designed to function differently than halters, and I prefer riding in that because a halter is not necessarily fitted it is not snug to your horse's face it will slide around even if you're attaching reins to like the side squares on the side of your horse's face on that halter your halter is still going to be moving around because there's just so much free space there um, and for that reason you never have direct contact and therefore you never have direct cues or direct aids it can always be up in the air your horse can always maybe not understand what you're actually trying to get him to do um so that's why i you know number six bridling is important in the head the headgear that you use yeah i, com so. <laughs> I completely agree and i think that there's this also this common thought that like if you go from bitted to bitless and i'm not advocating for either one i personally don't really have a preference at this juncture subject to change it has several times in the past so we'll see what happens in the next month or so but currently i don't really have a preference for either um but if you change from bitted which most people ride into bitless or a hackamore of some sort do not expect it to go the same it is a very different cue and some horses transfer beautifully other horses it takes a little bit of you have to reteach the cues you can't just get on and like expect it to work like i said some horses so easy they don't even notice it's changed some horses like zoe she was like i don't get it <laughs> she understood neck reining which i don't remember ever teaching her literally ever in her <laughs> entire life but she couldn't get that you know the hackamore the the difference in direction and i kind of just like 
you know, shoved the square peg in the round hole and was like, well, keep going. Let's jump now. And that was not the way to approach it. And then I was like, oh, well, bitless doesn't work with her. Um, I tried it again recently and there, there's a whole episode on that. But I just I, I really hate to see people be like trying to ride my horse bitless or bridleless. And I'm like, you, some horses go beautifully. And I think that's where that comes from. But then other people get discouraged because some horses don't do super well just making a, you know, black and white transition like that. Um, yeah. But I also think that self-bridling is a really good tool to teach because, like, with Nova, I mean, obviously, he didn't like the bit. And I have experienced yeah. horses that... Um, you know, after I've trained them how to take the bit, if they have a sore tooth or they don't want to be ridden, it's a very clear no because you're like, no, I know that you know how to do this and you're saying no now. Despite having a reinforcement history, you know this is where, you know, you get treats. Something is wrong. And I think we've talked about this with, like, the mounting block situation. It's the same thing. You allow the horse another opportunity to communicate with you. And if you ask and the horse says, I don't think so. And you're like, okay, well, this is, this is in there. I know you know it. Then, um, it's just yet again, another indication, um, an opportunity for your horse to tell you something. So, well, yeah, and, and for my last mention on that number six, what you said about going from, uh, bitted to Brent bitted to bitless and a lot of the mistakes that are made um i will literally beg people when they go to bitless most bitless bridles specifically hackamores and bazals are not designed to ride with contact and bits are so you really literally cannot ride them in the same way um Mm -hmm. with side poles i am typically not inclined to use side pulls specifically because in my experiences i have tried one on lily and lily as we should know by now is my most advanced horse my most progressed horse my most everything and (laughs) even she did not or did not or could not distinguish the difference in cues because it just wasn't clear to her and so just for that specific reason you know if my most educated horse did not understand the cues from this specific bridle, then I'm not going to use that bridle on my least experienced horse. Um, I do prefer a Bazal in that instance. I'm not really one to use Hackamores, um, but again, that's personal preference and personal experience. But the Bazal I do really like. It's used very specifically. It functions very specifically. Not all my horses ride in it. If my horses ride in a halter, it doesn't mean they can ride in a bazaar. But that's, again, just just food for thought. Um, but then, on that note, moving on to number seven, voila, I'm going to say groundwork again. Because now, again, considering you have everything you've built up before, you now have to be able to do all of that in a bridle. You have to lunge in the bridle. You have to walk in the bridle. You have to lead and trail walk and halter and stand tied. Um, well, kind of tied. If you change one thing, you gotta go back. Um, this is also where I'm going to start introducing cantering on the lunge line. Um, and it's not just will my horse pick up the canter and can I hold on to the lunge line for dear life? Um, <laughs> it's that the horse is performing walk, trot, and canter rhythmically and quietly and on cue and he stops when you ask. Um, again, this is going to be something you have to start in short bursts and work up to And preferably on a circle. <laughs> On a circle, and that is hard for a lot of horses. Yes. Again, especially horses with poor conformation or horses who have past injuries or active injuries. That is really hard. So 
the short bursts are very important, especially in your training, but also for your horse's um, physical health. Um, can he perform walk, draw, canter? That's going to be another thing where if your horse can't do that on the lunge and can't do it with holding his own rhythm, then why do you expect your horse to do that when you get in the saddle? Um, another thing that you want to be focusing on in this stage of groundwork is introducing laterals um, and physical reactions, a.k.a. like how your horse reacts to something touching him in a certain area of his body. Um, laterals are important because it just kind of helps your horse understand the movement of his feet a little bit better. It's not just everything is walking or moving forward or backwards. Um, if they're going to be moving in a sideways fashion, there are correct and incorrect ways for your horse to be doing that and for you to teach your horse to do that. Um, plus, laterals will help you in slowing your horse's pace without actually stopping your horse. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last thing I have under this session, this section of groundwork is um, can you lunge in a halter or a bridle? Again, whichever bridle you choose, whether it's a head stall or a bazal or hackmore or a bitted bridle, um, but your horse should at this point be able to do things fluidly and fluently in a halter or a bridle. Yeah. And I mean, I think obviously some of those would be difficult to do. Like if you chose a mechanical hackamore for some reason, yeah. like you're, and you have shanks, you're no, don't do that. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, unless you're like really adept at like ground driving and you can be sure that you can release them. But even then, like do shanks ever really let go? Arguable. Exactly. So yeah. I would well, definitely. That's another, that's another <laughs> conversation we could go on about bridles all day. I'm yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I think you pretty much covered it top to bottom. And I know, especially with young horses, um, almost every single thoroughbred I have started loves triangles and not circles, <laughs> or <laughs> or it's a semicircle. It's round on one side and then a straight line on the other side, and um, it's it's a lot of work to help them balance. And I think that's where the transitions on the lunge come in really handy. And um, But again, you have to be careful about your cues. And if you are wanting to do it with positive reinforcement, you have to be sure that you're not being confusing with your body language or accidentally encouraging a little too much. Maybe like if you have a whip in your hand and it is not in front of the horse and they're not chasing it, then... Um, you know, don't mix motivations in that regard. I think it would be pointless to use positive reinforcement in that scenario. Um, yeah. If you're teaching. Well, but then on, on like the triangles and the egg shaped circles, that even goes right back into rhythm and why I stress rhythm right. so much. Because if you're going to be doing that under saddle and your horse falls out of the circle, if he's going to start making sharp turns or straight lines like that, then you immediately risk your horse scaring himself or bolting um the rhythm and the self-rhythm and just you know the like some kind of semblance of self-carriage in that aspect is extremely important because if your horse can't carry himself right. then he is absolutely not going to be able to carry a balanced rider or carry a rider while balanced i should say right and i think that's something that we so miss i mean like every horse that i have ever um, I've never started from all the way at the beginning, but I have started from pretty early in a horse's, you know, riding career. And I, uh, like my definition of groundwork was lunging them. Like that was it. <laughs> and that is not 
the summation of groundwork. There was never any weight training or attempt at strength building. The most I did was throw them in a Pessoa and be like, yeah, top line. But like, no. <laughs> and also they, they, there was not any amount of duration or schedule that would have successfully built them up to a level where then I thought we could go ahead and add weight. Like we've said before, you don't go on a 20 mile run and just throw on a 50 pound backpack you know, to start, you have to start slow and start short and also without weight. And then you can start building up as you get stronger. And it goes the same for, uh, especially young horses like with Zoe, you know, she developed compensation tactics because she wasn't strong enough. So she started compensating in other ways in her body. And I, I obviously do not have a crystal ball, but I would be willing to bet money that that is the reason that we are dealing with so many um, biomechanical issues and pain because she didn't use her body correctly because how could she? You know, she's just trying to compensate. If you have that 50 pound backpack on trying to run, you're not going to be running in good form. You're going to be compensating and slouching for your deficiencies that you haven't had an opportunity to make up for. So that's my spiel. On to the next one. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. (laughs) Good tangent. Um, for number eight, moving on from that, number eight is you're finally, notice this, is, I'm halfway through my list. I'm not even at the start. I'm not even at the end. Halfway, when you have all of that, that your horse is performing everything absolutely wonderfully, then you can start thinking about saddling. And even then, at the start of your saddling process, it's not going to start with a saddle. It's not going to start with an English saddle. It's not going to start with a Western saddle. It's going to start with maybe like a surcingle or a saddle pad or just a bareback pad without a girth. Because when you first think about putting something on your horse's back and your horse has any tiny flinch to it, guess what you have to work on? (laughs) You cannot go to the next thing until your horse stops flinching on that. And you have to try it from both sides. You should be able to throw it on from the left side or the right side. You should be able to throw it on in the arena. You should be able to do it tied. You should be able to do it in the stall. You should be able to do it everywhere. And then you can slowly, you know, increase that, um, as you do start putting the girth on and tightening the girth. Um, again, it's going to be, can they like do all of that, on the lunge, and actually that goes right into number nine I have here as more groundwork um, because now you've added another thing. You've added the saddling. Your horse should be able to carry on with the walk trot canter on the lunge with the saddle. Again, that's going to start in really tiny bursts and it's going to be a really long process. Um, the saddling is probably the longest process of the entire scheme of starting your horse. Um, but, you know, you just saw without the saddle how well your horse should be doing and performing walk truck canter on the lunge. He needs to be able to perform it exactly that well with the saddle by the end of this portion. Not at the um, beginning. <laughs> and also, this is where I would start incorporating, like if, for the plus R, I would do associated lateral cues off the stirrup. Um, if you're doing traditional, then you would already be teaching lateral cues off of pressure. Um, so you won't be having those associated cues. But the laterals off the stirrup will also lead into a little bit of turning with the reins and stuff like that. And you're basically starting to piece together a little bit of what it's going to look like when you finally do get in the saddle. Um, your horse carries a saddle, he wears a bridle, he does all the things that look normal. Um, he moves off the stirrup and I say that because that's where your foot would be and you'd typically be asking with your foot um this is also going to be where I have to know that I have all my voice commands in check because I'm going to be approaching this with plus r um 
same thing. Like your horse has to be responding to all this without fear, with relaxation, with willingness. Uh, you know, again, our number one recurring theme. <laughs> yes, that's uh, how we avoid yeah. fireworks. We don't like them. Turn them off. They scare animals. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, if you have anything to say about that or else I will move on. No, I think I think you pretty much covered it. Cool. Okay. So um, <laughs> from that, uh, we go into number 10. Um, again, it's assuming that your horse has no fear at this point. If he has had fear, you've addressed it. You've not covered it or buried it. You've actually resolved it. Then you can start putting a little weight on the horse, putting your foot in the stirrup, adding a little height to it. Now I say that without saying your body. And I say that on purpose. Um, you don't want to be adding weight from yourself. Originally, you don't want to be adding height from yourself or any of that. And I say that because examples would be, if you're going to be adding weight, um, Uma's owner did something super genius. She took an old pair of jeans. She tied off all the, the ends of it and she filled it with sand. And that's how we introduced weight to Uma. It was something that mm -hmm. does it. It's not animated. It's not going to move on its own, but it has weight to it. And it has that weight in the legs and along her sides. So we did that first and Uma was carrying that around forever. I think we did walk, uh, walk and trot with that even, um, with the height, if something is going to be behind your horse's head or above your horse, um, how are they going to react to that? If they are reacting to that, then you should not be thinking about sitting on your horse because the moment that she sees the head above hers, she's going to flip. Um, so stuff like that, you know, you can start adding a little bit of things, putting your foot in the stirrup, um, kind of just showing a horse what's going to be expected. But throughout that process you still should be doing routine sessions of groundwork and leading and saddling and still all the stuff you were doing previously because again you don't know if when you presented this new thing your horse is going to have new fears with it and that could even bring fears into the old things that did not previously have fears um so, yes, that's number 10 if you want to say something about yeah, that. Yeah, and I think um, a really good way to consider, like, what you were saying about, like, you don't want the first time your horse is experiencing you being above them to be when you're on them because, obviously, that might be setting yourself and the horse up for failure. But um, so a lot of what I do, especially with Lexi, since we're starting to think about getting on her, even at this stage, is so early on with her. But I, when I go out there, you know, even if I, I don't bring like treats for a training session, I'll just sit at the very top of the fence. Like I started by standing <laughs> on the lower rungs and then moving up until I'm like way above her. And at first she was like, whoa, what's going on? You're not getting anywhere near my side. I will stand and reach my nose out to you. Um, <laughs> but now they don't really care. And um, I say they because Teddy's out there too. Um, but just doing that and getting them used to the fact that, like, yes, I can be taller than you, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be the cougar jumping out of the tree and landing on your back where you can't get me off, you know, and yeah. um, that it's not a bad thing and good things happen while I'm up here. And I think the sandbag thing is a really good idea because I know a lot of people do add, actually add weight um, and do weight training with their horse before they get on, which, God, good luck trying to convince anybody to do that. 
<laughs> Most people are well, like, that was nah. the thing is we were thinking about how it would be the easiest and the like the not or least invasive to do that. And I give Lauren full credit for that because she came. I don't know if it was her or her husband who came up with it, but they did it. They I just showed up for a session one day. They're like, look what we made. And it was just so awesome. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, and that's a great way to break it down because the whole point of everything is to break it down into digestible pieces for the horse so that they can work through it without it being such a jump from, okay, we've done everything on the ground and now today I'm going to get on you. Like that is yeah. way too big of a leap. And so to have something that mimics it, but is not, doesn't have the height factor, you know? And I mean, like, it's a good way to break it down. I, I think that was a great move. <laughs> well, and that's even like, I think probably what I use the most kind of just unconsciously but it's just like I'm always riding and most of my horses are always around me so they see me riding other horses and I will just like leave them loose in the arena while I'm riding other horses and they get to the point where they just like they're willing to come up to me and ask me for treats while I'm sitting on a horse they just shove their nose into my lap um (laughs) I do like I'll sit on the fence while I'm teaching lessons and again I'll just have the loot and they just get used to that kind of activity activity um but also just to just to finish up number 10 because that goes right into the next um the next point um when I'm done with number 10 it's that I'm at a point that I am standing completely in the horses or in the saddle stirrup and I'm standing above my horse I'm on one side of my horse maybe even I can ask my horse to walk forward with me completely standing on one side of the saddle um so that way it's kind of you know it's combining all of that it's combining the weight the height and the foot and the stirrup um and so it's that the horse is used to me being up there without me actually sitting in the saddle so if i say if because again you don't want the fireworks you want to actively avoid them but if your horse has an issue it's much easier to just step down and jump away rather than to have to completely dismount from the saddle um But that goes right into finally what everyone waits for. Number 11, you can finally sit in the saddle um, at that point. And I say sit in the saddle because that's all you're going to do. You're going to sit there for like 10 seconds and then you're going to dismount. And that's another thing that I do in short bursts that we just sit for a bit. And it's, it's something that we talked about for a previous question in our last conversation as well that you can do things and finish them before the stress gets high. It's not that, you know, on a scale of one to 10, your horse at one being not stressed and your horse at 10 being completely overwhelmed. It's not that you want to reach two and get off. It's that you want to remain at number one and get off at number one so that when you go to the next, like you sit on it, the horse again, you're still at number one, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So that's, again, that's focusing on relaxation and taking into account your horse's stress levels and your horse's willingness. Um, but then after you sit in the saddle, again, we're not walking forward. We're not walking backwards. We're just sitting in the saddle, hopping on and off. You're going to go back to groundwork and lunging again, because again, (laughs) I'm going to say this for probably the millionth time you've added something new and so you have to go back to the things that were easy and just a piece of cake and not threatening and not like there's no spark to it um so it's kind of like a nice little reset and just making sure that the horse is still comfortable wearing and carrying the saddle after you've sat in it um you know just it's again just another safety measure i do think it's a step that you 
you know, you shouldn't skip any of these steps, but it's a step that you shouldn't miss. And I see a lot of people miss it because they'll be like, okay, I sat in the saddle now, let's go walk. Um, and you know, like I just said, you have to make sure your horse is still comfortable with this thing after you've changed it. Um, if you want to say anything about that. No, I mean, I think you are covering it. I'm also trying really hard <laughs> to shut up because we're at three hours for this episode. But I, th- I think you're covering it top to bottom. I mean, we're almost done. I've only got four more points left. But okay. I mean, one of them has a few little ABCD to it. But Right. Well, and also this is a realm that I haven't like broken into yet. So you are definitely more the expert than I am. So <laughs> I'm <laughs> well, all you. for it. Um, yes. Okay. So I'll just, I'll just jump right into it then. I might even be able to finish these all in one go. Okay. Um, you know, once you've done that, you've gone back to the groundwork. Well, you've sat in the saddle, then you've gone back to groundwork, maybe you sat in the saddle again. Um, the number 13 is walking under saddle. 14 is trotting under saddle. Um, but again, those those need to just come respectively. Um, you don't want to be walking and trotting in the same session for the first time. Um, for a lot of horses, well, actually, I should say really all of my horses, the first time that I sit and walk in the saddle or even trot, under saddle for the first time I have someone there on the ground um and that goes all the way back to number two when you were teaching your horse leading and walking with you um can they do that same thing with someone else are they going to willingly walk with and stay with someone else so that they can walk on the ground with you you have just kind of you know just a little another pillow of safe of safety with you um and then it's also that you don't you know maybe your horse isn't going to respond to you from you being in the saddle the first time he's just not used to it and so he does but maybe he does respond to someone on the ground so you have that with you um but you know just kind of safe like that like I said for trotting as well I'm gonna do that um I'm gonna have someone on the ground with me you can even take it a step further in safety and have the horse be responding to the person on the ground and the person on the ground jogs with you when your horse is trotting you know stuff like that um But then again, after that, you've gone through your walking and your trotting. Then you want to go back to groundwork, you know, uh, the reset again and going over everything. But I actually also start trail riding at this point um, after the walking and trotting because it's, again, it's can the horse still perform everything on the ground as perfectly as it did before? Um, Is the horse focused and controllable on trail as much as he is in the arena or in the round pen? Um, can you walk and trot on the trail as well as you can in the arena? Um, stuff like that. Like, you know, you're changing the environment now and your horse is progressing at this point, your horse should have a lot more trust and faith in you and be really confident in what you're asking. Um, but also does your horse come down from a spook in the arena or on trail with you on his back? Um, I think that's really important before you get to the last step um in this list number 16 is cantering under saddle um i address the spook if the horse is going to spook with me in the saddle before i move on to cantering because i have had some horses be wary of cantering with a rider for the first time it's really different from walking and trotting um with walking and trotting, you don't have a right lead or a left lead, whereas with cantering, you do. And horses are going to quickly find, or you're going to quickly find, that they are more comfortable on the right or the left. And then it's even more drastically different when they're having to carry a rider for that. Um, for some horses, I'll also, instead of cantering in the arena for the first time, we'll kind of just be trotting along a straightaway on the trail. And then I let the horse break into a canter. And like that's magically our first time cantering under saddle um it's a little more fun it's a little more free and it's not 
something that I've very specifically asked. It's kind of just, you know, like I said earlier, it's something that just happened and that felt right. Um, I say that because that's actually what I did with Nova. Um, I was a little worried because, again, Nova is like the most reactive force in the entire world. <laughs> but it worked so well because he was he was so obviously happier on trail, uh, both with other horses and without other horses. And it just happened. Um, and so, again, that's going to go right back into your foundation of the relaxation and the willingness um, that your horse is just going to be happy to do these things. Um, especially if you're going to find in any of these points or anywhere on this list that your horse is going to start saying no, you really, really have to respect that because that could even be something that like your horse could be understanding that you're setting it up to be ridden and it just doesn't want to yet. Um, we went through that with Uma is that we went through all these steps, but she just didn't trust or wasn't ready to carry a rider um for her it was well for her and for nova it was that we needed their permission it wasn't to like desensitize them to it um uma knew very well what we were trying to get her to do and she was just like no you need to prove to me that we're both going to be able to handle this and that you're going to respect me as much as i respect you you know um it's you know it's going to vary from horse to horse and the background to background but Again, like Uma's owner worked with me. Um, we did it very professionally. We did it step by step. You need to work with professionals on stuff like this. It's very exhilarating. It's very fulfilling to start your own horse, especially like when you finally get to that end of the list of cantering under saddle. And it's just like, oh, this feels so amazing. We finally got to this point. Um, and with some of these horses, it's like, look, all this time, it was going to be something fun. And it's like, Uma really stress that she said this you, you have to prove this to me it doesn't matter how experienced you are how many horses you've done this with you have to prove this to me and that made me you know just really respect this process even more than I already did all from this smart little genius Mustang <laughs> there yeah and I mean I think and I think that goes back to what we said before we started this segment or at this hour of this episode I should say <laughs> um that it, it is really not something to be like just oh I'm just gonna go start my horse you know it it does yeah. really take a lot and also if you think about it it is crazy in and of itself that horses do in fact allow us to ride them yes even when you don't go forcing them to do it but they do allow it and they do enjoy it and but I think that she was right in being like okay make sure that I know that you know what you know, <laughs> you know, and yeah, yeah. make sure you know what we're doing here and you're not just like running all over the place and doing things at random, that there is a reason, there's something in it for me, it makes sense and I feel safe and prove to me that this is going to be good. And then that just makes you a better trainer and it makes the experience better for the horse and then you end up mm -hmm. no explosions, everything is great. A lot of times we really compared it to like it wasn't – setting her up for giving us a yes reaction it was more like when you ask your mom if you can go to your friend's house and she says you have to do your homework first you know like there were conditions to it mm -hmm. um and there was there was very much a process to it and it was a process that was very unique to Uma but that made me understand even more things as a whole like I said like I've been starting horses since I was 16 but this was still like you're going to learn something new with every single horse that you start um if that's something that you want to pursue as a career uh it, it's never going to be like this one thing works for every single horse like no that's it's just not going to happen that way yeah yeah 
Well, yeah, that's that's my insane list. Um, and I, you know, I make it insane for a reason because it is starting horses is not something to take lightly. Um, like I said earlier, I have been a little disappointed in equestrians as a whole for how they handle starting horses, because it really is something that your horse is going to carry over for life. If they have a poor starting experience and they move on to someone who doesn't know that, and then they have another poor starting experience, um, then you're just repeatedly setting your horse up for failure. Or even, you know, you only have so much control. And it's, like I said, with when you have someone walking on the ground with you, you know, can your horse recognize someone else asking a question? Because it might not always be you. Um, Horses are very delicate. And there was, I even read an article that it's kind of like going from foster home to foster home. Like some horses have seven owners in a lifetime or seven homes in a lifetime. And it's, you know, you, you want to, of course, prevent that as much as possible, but it happens. And whatever you teach your horse, it should benefit them for the rest of their life. Right. And I think that's where, especially when you go about starting horses with positive reinforcement, you have to be very careful to make sure that you're not setting this horse up to be some wackadoodle horse that Mm -hmm. nobody can get on and ride. And that's where you have taken such care to make sure that those cues, if they were asked in a negative reinforcement way, you know, the horse would likely be successful. And it's just because, you know, the reinforcement might change, but it might go unnoticed by the rider. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it might not, who knows, but I mean, because I mean, there's extinction to factor into that and we're not going (laughs) to discuss all of that. But, but I mean, I, I do think that it is really important that, um, you know, you set the horse up for success. They need to be able to do all of the basic horse things like standing, tying, haltering, blah, blah, blah. And, um, the riding needs to be, I mean, like if you have your will in place, that horse is never going anywhere. Even if you die, you have (laughs) 40 years set aside for that horse of people that will be taking care of it and that know how to work with it. Great. If not, let's prepare for doomsday. And, um, I think that that's a really important point to kind of hit on there. And, um, yeah, don't sell your horse. <laughs> that's the answer. Don't die either. <laughs> and then you don't have to do anything. You can just do whatever you want. But uh, that is not not reality. But, yeah, man, you said that foster home thing. and That hurts. <laughs> I don't like that. Because, <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine what that would be like for a human and then an animal that doesn't have any sense of or anywhere near close to the level of cognition as a horse, I mean a human, <laughs> Jesus, and then, uh, and then just be like tossed into somebody else and they're like, oh, why doesn't this horse bend this direction? And the horse is like, I don't know what you're asking. Like, I'm trying. What? Ask better. And, yeah. Or yeah. ask differently. So, I mean, I don't know. I did not like that. Thank you for putting that in my head. Appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I even, I thought about it with Lily too, that even Lily, who, when she, when I met her, she had only been halter broke. Um, She was uh, nine years old when I got her. I think she was about to turn 10. Um, She was nine years old when my trainer at the time had adopted her. Um, But even then, you know, she had, she's kind of a unique case. She had been intentionally bred, but then she was released and she did grow up as a BLM horse, um, on free range. Um, but even then she had already gone through 
someone who had bought her from her breeders um that someone then sent her to auction she did not sell at auction she was sent to slaughter from slaughter she was sent to auction horses rescue from there she was sent to my trainer at the time and then from there she was sent to me um even then you know those those aren't even all owners but they don't know that they are just like this is a new place yet again um she was a little lucky because even though you know i don't know anything about her first um like seven or eight years of her life when she was free range, but at least for her auction and slaughter and rescue experience, she was with the same gelding throughout that. But even then she, you know, she lost him when she was adopted out to my trainer. She no longer had that horse she was familiar with. Um, She does have very, very severe separation anxiety. Um, I'm sure it goes even past that gelding, probably all the way to her birth. Um, so, you know, I, I went out of my way and it's we joke that Bella is not my horse. She's Lily's horse. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just it's stuff like that. Even if your horse hasn't necessarily gone through owners, he's probably at least been through homes. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I even communicate that to my clients like Gulliver's owner just bought a new filly who is beautiful and stunning and smart. But she you know, I told her, I was like, hold off on sending her to training. You know, you, you just hauled her in from, I think, Ohio. Um, let her let her settle and let her get used to you and her new friends. Let's not just immediately move her to the next place, even though she's only going to be with, with me for a short time. She doesn't know that. Right. Gulliver doesn't know that he's going to go back home at the end of the month. You know, like, it's just something to always think about. Yeah, and I think Zoe is actually one of the lucky ones in that scenario because Sunny bred her, had her. She went to the track and, I mean, God knows how many people <laughs> were there. I mean, they've got jockeys and grooms and trainers and whatever. And um, and then Sunny would visit, obviously. And then Sunny brought her back. And then Sunny sold her to um, the lady that kind of, like, sponsored my ride on her. And I rode her that whole time. There was maybe, like, six months to a year that I didn't. I think it was probably only, like, six months um, that I stopped working with her and then her owner brought me back on and then I ended up buying her and then and now she's back here with me and Sunny so it's it's really full circle but um that's not very many owners in the grand scheme of things or very many people she had and um a lot of horses go through a way more than that the past the horses I've had in the past have been through way more and uh, that is a huge thing to factor in into terms of like separation anxiety. Sometimes it comes out in aggression and uh, just being generally untrusting, especially when people don't take the time, like you were saying, for Gulliver's owner um, to let the horse kind of decompress a little bit. Because if you just jump right in and you're like, okay, let's get to riding and doing what I bought you for, you know, you haven't taken any time to transition the old owner's cues to your cues. And, um, I don't know. I think it would be incredibly helpful if at all when you buy a new horse that you really have a conversation with the old owner, maybe several conversations about what buttons they've quote unquote installed, you know, um, so that you can uh, figure out where it came from so that you can work within that framework to um, change it to whatever you want it to be or continue to use it or whatever. Um, But yeah, I think. No, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have anything else that you want to tack on here? Because so, I, <laughs> I just, don't. We've actually we've gone through my list and we have reached the end. Amazingly, no way. Well, surprise! It's not the end. We're actually doing a third <laughs> installment, <laughs> and it will be on pro or the um, the problems that come with training and like kind of troubleshooting things like 
Um, what did we oh, we have at least two more episodes because we have we're going to answer all the questions in the next episodes and the problems, and then I'm going to come back for problem horses. Yes. So. so we have all of you guys' questions that I've asked on Instagram, and when this episode goes live, I will ask again, and you guys can feel free to comment on um, the Equitheory Instagram. I'll post a picture of the cover of this episode, and you can comment your questions that you want to ask us, and we will do our best to answer as many as we can. But I am determined that it will not be another three-hour episode because this is <laughs> mildly ridiculous. So um, I hope that you guys enjoyed it. And Kane, I'm going to go ahead and say thank you. And if there's anything that you want to like leave everybody with, go ahead. Well, I have to thank you because this has, aw- this has <laughs> been awesome. Um, I've never done a podcast before or like really anything kind of like this. I am um, glad no, to I've, christen I've had you. a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. It's, I mean, talking about horses is what we do. And then more people get to hear our conversations. So yeah, I know we actually we get like payout from our usual one to two hour to three hour conversations and phone calls. Jesus Christ. It's Um, always so long. So I mean, you know, I think I mentioned at the beginning of the episode or the last episode, you know where to find me. I'm on Instagram as Meyer Horsemanship. My last name is M-E-Y-E-R. Um, I do have a website that is MeyerEquine.Wix.com slash Meyer Horsemanship. Um, I am pretty much only active on Instagram, although it does tie over into Facebook. Um, I would be so excited to do an online masterclass, which I was planning on doing um, earlier this summer, but it has unfortunately not worked out as I had hoped. Um, But at the same time, like we opened up before we talked about starting horses, Um, there are plenty of resources for you to find. And I do really believe in those resources. I think they are a fantastic start. Um, When I do feel like I have something very completely unique to contribute, I will. Um, (laughs) But until then, you know, I have all my client horses. I do only work locally for the time being, um, locally kind of meaning both Ventura and Los Angeles counties. So it's, I can sometimes drive a couple hours (laughs) in a day. Um, But, you know, like I I am reachable. I do like answering questions. I unfortunately don't offer um, consultations online or on the phone but I am an open person. I love educating. I am loving this podcast because like I just said, I love answering questions. So yes, me too. And that's why I do answer consultations. And, um, so, I mean, if that's something you're interested in, while I have not had a ton of experience in the realm of, uh, working with horses under saddle with positive reinforcement, I have had a lot of negative reinforcement experience and (laughs) traditional training and, um, would be more than happy to at least brainstorm. And, um, I do offer those services on my Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash equitheory and, or on the support tab on jetequitheory.com, whichever is easiest for you. Um, but with that, I I think this is the end of the episode. That would be crazy. Are we I done? think we're set. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, say goodbye to your people, and then we'll jump in with you guys at part three next week. All right. Well, thank you, and goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Alrighty, guys, that is the end of part three. I hope you uh, gleaned some information from that. I actually never know if it's gleam or gleaned. 
I guess it doesn't matter right now, <laughs> but I hope that you guys learned something from this. Maybe it gave you some ideas for what you want to do with your horse um, or ways you want to incorporate positive reinforcement or if you wanted to start all the way over. Um, you know, I hope that this was somewhat helpful and you guys enjoyed it. And again, I want to apologize for not being totally on the ball. Uh, as I said in the intro, I'm still kind of getting over some ick and haven't been feeling fantastic lately, but um, it's getting better and I'm showing signs of improvement. The Rona cannot get me. <laughs> um, but anyway, I hope that you guys enjoyed it. I'll say it one more time. If you would like to take a shot, play a drinking game. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it's been awesome having Kane on the podcast and um They've definitely taught me a lot about riding with positive reinforcement because, um, you know, sometimes it, it's it feels so overwhelming and impossible to know what's going on. But when you actually start talking about it with somebody and breaking it down and even, you know, me answering the patron questions has helped me so much because having to verbalize and explain how I would work through something makes me realize how I would work through something, you know, instead of having it be kind of like, oh, just trial and error. But if I sit down and think about it, um, you know, it's a lot more helpful. So anyway, thank you guys for giving me that opportunity and uh, giving Kane an opportunity to have a platform beyond their own to espouse their incredible intellect and wonderful workings with horses and um yeah i think that wraps it up for part three and again part four is coming uh next tuesday because you know we we post every single tuesday you know you know you know and uh that will be answering your questions so be sure to check jet equitheory and equitheory instagrams um, for the story posts on asking for your questions and if you don't see the story post before um you know midweek then I would shoot your question to the Equitheory Instagram DM. That way I will see it and it will not get clogged up in the Jet Equitheory DMs. Um, so yeah, I look forward to answering you guys' questions and talking again with Kane. And then after that, we'll dive into some patron questions and then move on to another topic. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. There's your other shot. Uh, be sure to follow Jet Equitheory and Equitheory on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And also Jet Equitheory on Twitter, if you so please. It's a little sassy on there. You might like it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, be sure to subscribe to the Patreon if you would like. You got $5 to $35 tiers. It's like a, a cup of coffee for the $5 tier, you know, and you get to ask questions. And Support me and the ponies because I'm poor. Sorry, I'm very burpy when I talk. <laughs> um, but anyway, I think that that about wraps it up for this episode. And if you guys would uh, would like to listen some more, hit that subscribe button. And um, be sure to check in every Tuesday for the episodes. And I think I have been redundant enough for one episode. So I'm going to let you go now. And we're going to roll the music. And I will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>